Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Here is the deal. Let me kind of go through what we know, and then I want to discuss this with you. It's just mind-boggling, and it might not technically be illegal, but if it's not, it should be. The reality is, no car insurance, no problem. Nuts to that. Let's get them off the road. Impound the cars. Make the streets safer. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. What are those people talking about? You got a deal. A deal is a deal. Stop whining about it. Live up to its obligations. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. I will tell you, there is not a happier person in Wisconsin than I am that this uh, snowstorm decided to go dramatically to the south. Um, I, I, I was, you know, of course, the, the initial predictions were that we were supposed to, starting this morning and running all through the day and all through the night, we were supposed to get, what, 8, 10 inches of snow. And I um, we're... We're we're jumping on a jet tomorrow evening, and we're we're flying out west for just a couple of days, which means that we have to find somebody to take care of our our little dog. And so, the, the person that watches her is in West Bend. So I um tonight, you know, after work, I have to drive up to West Bend and drops off Sasha with the gal that watches her. And I was thinking, you know, the last thing I want to be doing is driving through a blizzard trying to, you know, drop off this very precious cargo. So I could not be happier that there is no snowstorm. I'm not very happy with the fact that there's this virus going around, and I think I've kind of caught it. So if all of a sudden there's some dead air, it's because, not because I'm going anywhere, it's because, well, I'm probably having some sort of coughing fit. Eric Bilstadt's out. He went home sick last, uh, he went home sick yesterday, and um, it's just... It's just like this virus. I just know a lot of people that have it, and I guess I was lucky enough to catch it as well. All right. We have an abbreviated program today. Our first weekday spring training baseball game. Our coverage starts a little bit after 2 o'clock. I I want to tell you, I, I listen to a lot of the national sports broadcasts, and just like two years ago, just like last year, this year the Brewers are getting very, very little love. And I, I want to tell you something. I... And maybe I'm just looking at this at really, through rose-colored glasses, and I understand there's been a lot of roster turnover, but I have to tell you, I, I think the Brewers are going to be just fine. Actually, I think you can make a strong argument that they're actually a much deeper and better team than last year. Now, I understand you lose Grandal, the catcher, who had a great year, and you lose Mike Moustakis. I, I get that, and, and those are going to be tough to replace. I think the pitching staff, which was kind of a dumpster fire for a good portion of the year last night year, I think the pitching staff is better. They've brought in a lot of players. They have depth, and it's not just a question of just quantity. It looks like they've got some quality sort of players that can play multiple positions. Look, what do I know? But I'm telling you, for everybody who's saying, oh, they've cut their payroll a little bit, well, all right, maybe they've cut their payroll a little bit, but that doesn't mean that you cannot be competitive. And I'm quite candidly, I'm I'm optimistic. I think it's going to be a good year for the Brewers, and you can hear the first weekday spring training game uh, just in about an hour and a half from now. So check that out. All right, we start off with a story from the world of high school baseball. Here's the deal: there's a team down in Florida. Um, it's a high school, a Seminole High School, located 27 miles northeast of Orlando. Last year, 
the team won the state championship. And this is like the first time they had won the state championship in 30 years. So big deal. They, they win the, the state championship. Everybody is celebrating. The baseball coach, first-year baseball coach, he's excited. So after they win the championship, what happens is they have one of these U2 moments. He gathers the kids around, and he gives them the, the speech congratulating them on all their success, right? Here's the deal. It, it's a video. The video lasts 25 seconds. The video, the guy's speech, 42 words. Okay, 42 words. This is kind of like the Gettysburg Address. It is short. 42 words. Of those 42 words in front of these high school kids, seven of those words are the F word. One out of every six words that this guy uses is the F word. Um, For example, you guys showed up, you blanking played the game, you played it right, you never blanking panicked. He pointed to one of the players who has type 1 blanking diabetes. You, you get the idea. 42 words, seven of which are the F word. So what happens is that video goes viral, and the school district comes in, and the school district fires him. They said, you know, we are appalled with and extremely concerned out of, uh, out, about the abundance of profanity that you use with the students that you are responsible for supervising and leading right and then they also say we're also concerned that you announced the personal health information of one of your baseball players that was on the bus when you went on your profanity ridden tirade so again you know so and so he's blanking you know type 1 diabetic but they fired him for being a potty mouth all right our number 855-616-1620 that is the accurate mortgage talk and text line all right is this an overreaction the guy is a high school baseball coach, so it's it's not college. It's certainly not the pros. 42 words, seven of which are a particularly bad word. The video goes viral. The school district says, this is not the example that we want to set for kids. Now, obviously, those kids have probably heard that word before. My guess is the kids have used it. But should the coach have been fired for that obscenity-ridden tirade, or is this just what, you know, happens nowadays? My take on this, I think you have to have standards. I am not a Pollyanna. I am not a prude. I understand that that word or similar sort of profanities are are migrating more and more into society. But you're, you're a teacher, and you're in a high school situation. Admittedly, it's on an athletic field as opposed to a classroom. But I just don't think there's any justification at all for using that type of language. And, yeah, I'm not particularly sympathetic. He should have known better, shouldn't he? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The cursing, cur- the cursing coach gets fired. Was that the right decision? We discuss. If you're on the line, please hold on. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. number of texters are saying, if you fired every high school coach for using obscenities, profanity, the F word repeatedly, you wouldn't have any high school coaches left. Is that really the case? Is it really the case that you can't communicate with 
I don't know, young athletes, unless you're able to curse at them? Because seriously, would anybody argue in, let's say, an English classroom, you know, would it be appropriate for the teacher to stand up and, you know, give pep talks or whatever that were contained, you know, various profanities? Would would, would that be acceptable? My argument would be no. So if it's not acceptable there, why is it is it acceptable in the athletic field? Okay, let's start with Scott. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Scott. Hey, Jeff. It's Hi, Scott. Scott. Sure. Hey, I, I didn't uh, I didn't hear the burst come in. Uh, long-time listener. I just wanted to say that when I was growing up, my grandmother, who went to college when women didn't go to college, would always use the, the thought of, um, you're you're judged by the words you use, and if you can only think of profanity, then you're not very smart. And I have to say, I grew up. I'm in my fifties now. I've never heard my dad swear yet in my life. Well, and I think that holding a holding maybe, you know, may, because and I think that some of the texters said that uh, you know you, you'd fire every coach. But what what's wrong with trying to be better? I don't know the answer to that. I I've, I've never sworn in front of my kids ever. So. Well, right. Um, I mean, I guess I, I, I don't know. Be See, I, I'm with you. I mean, if and maybe that is the case that you you can't look at a high school basketball program, and we're talking high school. We're not talking college. We're certainly not talking the pros. But maybe it's that that you know this is commonplace that you have to you know be loud. You have to be dirty to get your message across. But what does that say? I mean, I agree with you. Can't you be? Shouldn't we try to be better? And I'm not talking about like an occasional slip of a tongue. That's not what this was. This is 42 words, seven of which are. A word that I can't say on the radio. You know that—that's one out of every six words that the guy was using. Awful. No, yeah, I, I, awful. I, I, I mean, I, we need to be better. That's all. No, I thanks. So. I mean, I I agree with you. And look, and I I I understand that maybe maybe this is. I mean, maybe this is what happens nowadays, and that people. You know, you can't communicate without cursing. And look, and I, I understand. You turn on the TV, you hear those lang- that you hear those words. I, I'm not naive. I appreciate that the kids probably have heard the words and they've used the words, but that doesn't mean it's acceptable coming from the coaches. Jeff, I don't know if he should necessarily have been fired, but he definitely should receive some sort of discipline for utilizing that kind of language. He could have easily substituted words, gotten the point across, and uh, or just removed. The F word altogether. Absolutely. Okay. Jeff, fired absolutely not. When the President of the United States can use vulgar language on national television, there are no longer any standards. And you want to hold a goofy baseball coach to a higher standard than the President? You've got to be kidding. No, I'm not kidding. And, and shame on you. If that's if that's the attitude that, well, I don't like, it's it's all Donald Trump's fault. I, I don't like this, so we're going to say that there's not going to be any standards at all and anything goes. Well, I'm sorry, I, I don't buy that. Now, if you want to argue that firing the guy is too extreme, okay, I guess we can have that conversation. But I do think it's something that certainly merits discipline. And then when you couple it with the fact that, you know, he's disclosing publicly that you have one of the kids who has a health problem. Well, it, it just gets ugly. Jeff, the coaches think they are motivating their teams, but but they don't. Kids nowadays don't respond to that. Well, I, you know, I think that there's some element to that. Let's talk to Kurt in Green Bay. Kurt, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Kurt. I'm doing. Uh, I just wanted to let you know I've coached youth for a long time, and although I haven't used the F word, uh, I may have used a couple minor uh, curse words to get my boys' attention. Right. And I think the board. I, I think the board overreacted. 
I might agree with you on some type of suspension or reprimand, you know, like a first strike or second strike. But uh, based on the, the the transcript of the video that you had, uh-huh. I don't think the coach was acting too far out of bounds. Okay, let me ask you this. If, if it was a classroom situation, would you think there's ever any excuse for a math teacher or an English teacher or a history teacher or a science teacher to go off on an expletive-laden rant, you know, using that word repeatedly? Would that be appropriate in a classroom? Uh, absolutely not, but I think you're comparing apples to oranges, in my opinion. Okay. Uh, athlete, athletes are motivated by, you know, it's an adrenaline thing. It's a, uh, it's a go out there. It's, it's physical effort and energy and attitude and will. I, I think in a classroom it's a completely different setting, in my opinion. No, no, I appreciate that. Now, you, you, you've coached kids. Do you think it is difficult or impossible to motivate kids to do their best without using that kind of language? I think when they reach a certain age, they've become, you know, you can only have them run so many laps and say, gosh darn it. And once in a while, uh, I've used a word not as bad as the F word to just kind of straighten them up a little bit and get their attention. Um, And, uh, you know, it may have been uh, a reference to a, you know, donkey or something like that, like get your head's, Get your at, head out at a of certain your... part of your anatomy, right? Yeah. Okay, I get it. Yeah. Well, thanks. No, and I guess, and I understand if it was, but again, we're not we're not talking about mild expletives here. And 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 again, maybe maybe that's it. Maybe in today's day and age, that the only way you can motivate student athletes is by you know cursing at them. But I guess my question would be, can't can't we be better, Jeff? Um, as a as a as a member of the NFHS, we announced to students that high school athletics are an extension of the classroom. Our students, staff, and coaches represent the high school when they compete, coach, and teach. If a teacher or coach were to use that language in the classroom or competition at the school I, where I'm a principal, I would recommend their dismissal as well. Yes, there are schools that allow that, but administrators, parents, and other schools should realize this, and their reputation reflects that. I applaud the school for holding uh, to a standard that parents can, in fact, see. Huh. Okay, so no, no, no. This, this is definitely the typical response of a non-athlete. Well, okay, that's that, that's true. I'm, you know, I, I my athletic career was very, very brief. But, but I guess, aren't we just normalizing what we would all agree to be bad behavior? This idea that, okay, well, if you're into athletics, that allows the the coaches to completely, you know, throw out societal norms and to use whatever sort of language they want. I mean, is that really, is that really, you know, what happens here? As a mother of, here's another text, a mother of 17 and 19-year-old teenage boys and a 22-year-old daughter who were and are involved in sports, I think the coach should be fired. To say it motivates to use foul language is ridiculous and non-intelligent. My boys lose respect for coaches when they yell foul language. Uh, yeah, and again, I guess that's how I look at it. And it is high school. I mean, I understand, you know, coaching on the college level is different. And certainly, if you've ever watched uh, that HBO show, Hard Knocks, you know, where they go into the training camps at a pro football team, it's, I mean, you watch this, and it, it seems like on a pro level, it is impossible for any coach to have any conversation with any player without sprinkling the F word in on a repeated basis. Now, again, I, I, 
I kind of cringe with that. And I'm thinking, really, that's how the conversations that you have to have. But at least at that level, it's a pro. No, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't see this coach as a victim. And again, I'm not sure. I mean, I view the athletic field as an extension of the rest of the school. Now, maybe that's naive, but I, I stand by that. And I, I guess if you wouldn't allow an English teacher or a chemistry teacher to stand up and just curse and curse and curse in front of the kids, why do you allow the baseball coach to do it? This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner, so very glad to have you with us. Brewers baseball coming up in less than 90 minutes. All right, here is the deal. There is a movement afoot. Tens of thousands of people signing petitions demanding that airlines let kids sit with their parents without having to pay for the seat assignments. My response is, look, I have no problem with kids and families you know, getting on the plane ahead of other people. I think that's reasonable. But at the same time, you know, wh- why should you get a fly-free card simply because you're traveling with kids? Let me explain how this works. Um, if you fly Southwest, this really isn't that big a deal because Southwest doesn't have assigned seats. So you, you know, you, you board in whatever order you're given, you know, you get on. So if you're traveling with, you got, let's say it's you and your wife or you and your husband, you've got two kids, you all get on together. And so then you can get, you know, four seats together. You get to pick them out. Um, on the other hand, on a lot of major air carriers, Delta, United, American, etc. They, if you want to have a reserved seat, you have to pay for it. Now, look, I don't, I don't like to do that, but I mean, we just flew Delta back from Key West a week or so ago, and yeah, we, we, we paid the extra money to have designated seats. So on both our legs, the Key West to Atlanta, Atlanta to Milwaukee, you know, we, we had our seat assignments. Uh, you know, we were kind of sitting across the aisle from each other, okay? Because that's how this all works. Well, what happens is you've got a number of people who don't want to pay for the seat assignment. So if you don't pay for the seat assignment, what happens is, and let's say you're traveling with kids, you kind of get into the the sort of general mix. The people that have paid for the seat assignments, they get their designated seats. Then the people with kids get on the plane, and in some cases, they're able to find seats um, or they get the seats assigned at the airport, but maybe the seats aren't all together because what's happened is you've had people who've, you know, paid to reserve their particular seat, right? I mean, that's one of the ways the airlines make money. So here is the um, argument. Number of people extremely upset with the fact that parents shouldn't, the, uh, the notion is that parents should not have to pay for reserved seats. And the argument is, well, you don't want to separate families. And that's true. You don't want to separate families if you can. But the argument is, okay, the parents, if you're traveling with kids, you should automatically get designated seats and they should automatically be together. And if that means displacing somebody who has already paid for their seat, well, that's what you do. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, look, I appreciate that I appreciate that the traveling 
you know, with children is fraught with all sorts of peril. I, I, I get all that. And I, I appreciate that you also want to make it as easy as possible. For example, when we were coming back from uh, Key West last week, there was a, a, there was a, a little girl who was going to be seated, seated between my wife and I. My wife, I think, was in the aisle, window seat. I was in the aisle seat. She was going to be there, and the mother was going to be a row ahead. And the mom said, hey, you know, would you switch? I, I'm in the aisle ahead, you know. And, and I said, fine, that, that's fine, because, I mean, it really didn't make much difference one way or the other, other than I didn't get to sit with my wife for a couple hours of the flight, but that's okay. So, the, I, you know, we were willing to we were willing to switch to try to make this work. But at the same time, I mean, I... I don't think you automatically have a right if the airlines are going to say, all right, you know, you got to we're this is one of the ways we're making money and you know, we're going to expect people to, you know, pay if you want a reserve seat, you've got to pay extra for that seat. Well, I think that should apply to people traveling with kids a- as well. Now again, I think a lot of people, certainly, you know, we were willing to, you know, work with the mom so she could sit next to her her daughter. But at the same time, um, if that's the airline's rule, I don't think just because you're traveling with kids means that you should automatically get something for free that everybody else is going to have to pay for. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Like I say, this doesn't become an issue on Southwest because you get on at the same time, and unless you're getting on at the very end of the, the boarding process, you're probably going to find seats together. Let's start with Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Mike. I think if you pay for a reserved seat, you should get your seat. If people want to travel with kids and be together, they should just fork out the money and pay for a reserved seat if they want to be together. Um, you have to pay for luggage on some of these flights. Yeah, I mean, it, it, look, and, and I understand... The people, I, the people don't like the, the airlines and the way they nickel and dime you nowadays and you fly certain airlines and you gotta pay $30 for the bag that you wanna check. I mean, I, I understand all that, but that's how the airlines are making money. And I'm not anti-kid, but if this is an issue and you're traveling with children, seems to me that that's the first thing you do is step up to the plate and say, I wanna make sure my kids are together, especially for, you know, younger kids. Now, I don't know if it's that big a deal, if it's a 12 or 13-year-old, but certainly for younger kids, you know, yeah, I, I, you don't want to stick them in one part of the plane and mom and dad be in another part of the plane. So just just pay for the reserve seat, you know, pay that extra 15 bucks, and you're all set. Yeah, I mean, are you going to pay uh, for extra room for the kid? You know, he's not in your room. Well, right. I know. Thank, thanks for calling. I mean, I, I guess again, it's it, to me, it, it's not anti-kid. For example, you know, now they they allow families with children to board ahead of a lot of people, and I I don't have you know, including people who've like paid extra to kind of get on the plane, and that's that's okay. I don't mind that. That makes sense to me because I mean, if you're traveling with kids, you've got all sorts of struggles and things like that. You know, let yourself get set before other people get in. But but again, having said that, if the airline policy is going to be, you know, if you want a reserved seat, if you just don't want to take your chances when you show up at the airport, you know, right before your flight, if you want to have some input over to your over your seat assignment, well, okay, and if that's going to be the case, then you've got to pay $15 or $30 or whatever the thing is, that that's the airline policy. And I guess I'm, I'm not, believe me, I'm not anti-child, I'm really not, but it... If that's the policy, 
That's the policy. And I certainly don't think the airline should be required to give you this for free. Now, again, my experience, like I say, just like what happened to us last weekend or two weekends ago, was, okay, the mom says, would you switch seats? And my response was, sure. I mean, I, I, I don't care whether I'm in the aisle seat in row 11 or the aisle seat in row 10. If that means you can sit next to your daughter, I'm cool with that. that that's okay. That That's fine. I'll, I'll be glad to do it. And I think most people are probably like that. But you solve the whole problem by simply saying, all right, I'm going to behave like all the other people who want to reserve the seats are going to behave. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to end up paying for it. Then it doesn't become an issue. Jeff, as a parent of young children, it's in the benefit of everyone in that plane that the children are near their parents. I agree. Believe me, I'd love to place my kid on the other side of the plane, but it would be a disaster. I understand the anger, but this policy is self-preservation on the part of the airline. Um, yeah, it, it, it just it just is. Let's talk to Chris on the west side. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, um, Part of what um, was just said in that message was pretty much what I started to say. But I think, you know, when the tickets are being booked, if the airline realized that, okay, this is a family, um, check the age, and I think it's somewhat age-related, a a 10- or 12-year-old might not care if they're at the opposite end of the plane, but a young child um, might be screaming bloody murder the entire time. They don't see mom or dad nearby. And they could upgrade them to sitting together, Silently, before they ever got to the plane, it could be a service in their own interest, like I said, to avoid screaming child throughout the flight, and, and I, it, wouldn't be an, it wouldn't be an affront to the rest of the passengers because they wouldn't know that it wasn't paid for. I guess my question would be, though, if the airline is in the business of, of trying to encourage people to pay that extra 15 or 20 bucks to, to pick out their seat, you know, that, that's how they're trying to raise revenue, yeah. why... Why, 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 why shouldn't they expect the mom and dad who are traveling with the two small children? Why shouldn't they expect them to do the same thing that, for example, you and I, not traveling with small children, would do if we if if sitting, you know, in a particular seat was important? Um, I guess I kind of equate it with the uh, those of us who have to pay taxes for schools the entire part of our <laughs> life. Maybe it's just a, a self serving interest, you know. To and you don't have to maintain some peace. <laughs> okay, well, thanks. I mean, I, 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 yeah. I mean, I guess. I mean, I guess I've always felt with schools, and you're talking about somebody who who did not have children. Um, I've always thought that okay, well, at least uh, first of all, from a societal perspective, having good schools is a good thing. Secondly, on a real personal note, if you live in an area that has good schools, that helps keep your property values up. So when you go to sell your house, it'll be a desirable neighborhood that people will want to move in. I don't know. I'm not sure that analogy holds out to the airlines. In any event, that this is the movement afoot. They're trying to pressure airlines into, I don't know, making these changes. Candidly, I'm, I'm just thinking the easy thing is if you want to sit next to your kids, which I understand, just reserve a few seats and then the whole problem goes away. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Crew producing the show today and always. Did you see the story over the weekend about the 42-year-old guy who ended up playing goalie in the game? Oh, it, yeah, for the Hurricanes. Right. This this is one of the coolest and most peculiar stories that, that I, I have seen ever. The, in the National Hockey League, and I guess I, I'm, I'm not a big hockey fan. I know people just love it, but I, I was not aware of this rule. In the National Hockey League, 
teams carry two goalies on their roster, two goalies, and at every NHL arena, there is an emergency goalie who's not part of either team who just like sits and waits in a room because if if the two goalies on a given team get hurt, then what they do is they bring in this emergency goalie because it I mean it just as a practical matter it almost never happens. So on Saturday night, it's in Toronto. Toronto is playing the Carolina Hurricanes, and the starting goalie gets injured early in the game. So he goes out. They bring in the second string goalie, and in the second period, there's three periods in hockey, he gets hurt in a collision. So he gets knocked out. So they're out of goalies. So what they do is they find this that the emergency goalie is this 42-year-old guy who works at a rec center who's never played – I mean, he, he's played goalie – a few years ago, like in like adult rec leagues, but I mean, he's not a professional hockey player. He's an athletic director who like drives a Zamboni. You know, that's that's what he ends up doing. And so they say, okay, the two goalies for Toronto are hurt. You go into the game. So uh, for Carolina, so he goes into the game and plays. Now when he goes into the game, Carolina is ahead three to one. And they score a couple more goals. He gives up two goals in the second period and then shuts out Toronto in the third period. And so I think, you know, Carolina wins six to three. But here you have this guy. He's 42 years old. He's the oldest goalie in NHL history to have his first start and his first win. You know, guys never played professional hockey before. And it's just it's just this really cool story. He ended up making eight saves. I mean, eight. He made eight saves. And the guy says, yeah, he's done this for about three years. And, and what he does is, like he said, you never get in the game. And I think they throw him a few bucks, and he just sits around in this room and, you know, waits during the course of the game in case he's ever called. And he said it's just, you know, it never it never happens. But, um, you know, this, this was it. He said, you know, um, that the last time he played goalie was um, senior A hockey. You know, and that that's it. But what a, just an amazing story, and what a, what an interesting rule. Because, like I say, the game was in Toronto, so the guy is from Toronto, um, presumably paid by the NHL or paid by Toronto. But he comes on and he plays for Carolina. You know, and and it was, it was so great because I was watching the film afterwards, and you see all the Carolina players they're like hugging the guy, and they're I mean, it was just it was one of these great feel good stories about about sports that unfortunately. We don't get enough of, but we certainly had that over the weekend. Just what a great story on that whole thing. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. In the category of life is cheap on the mean streets of Milwaukee, and whatever you do, don't get out of the car. This trial of Matthew Lee Wilkes, which is going on in downtown Milwaukee now, is a classic example of that. All right, this is the story, if you will recall. There's a 17-year-old boy. His name is Caleb Smith. He's driving on a Friday evening with his mother, who works at the Department of Corrections in downtown Milwaukee. Um, he's, he's got a probationary driver's license, so he needs an adult in the car. So she's in the passenger side. He's in. He's driving the car. What happens is they're at a red light. They're turning from 51st onto West Fond du Lac Avenue. So they're there. What happens is you have this Matthew Lee Wilkes, who is apparently behind them, you know, honking. 
Um, you know, and, and the, the, the kid is like, I, I couldn't do anything. It's a red light. I got nowhere to go. But the guy is, is honking and honking. And so what happens is Wilkes decides he's going to pull out, go through the red light. So he swerves around. And as he's coming back, he sideswipes the car driven by this Caleb Smith with, with his mom in that. And then what Wilkes does is after he hits their car, he kind of stops the car diagonally in front of their car. Well, okay, mom gets out. Looking, the car has minor damages, some scrapes to the the bumper. Mom gets out to look over the damage. The guy who hit the car, he gets out of, of his car. Mom is a little bit hacked off. So mom is like, you know, you hit my car. You're running through a red light. I can, You know, you can just see how this is going. Mom is kind of yelling. The guy then apparently pulls a gun out, yells, shut the blank up, bitch, I'll kill you. And then shoots her pretty much at point blank range in the chest and kills her. I mean, it's just, it, it's just unbelievable in front of her then 17 year old son. And by the way, a lot of other witnesses who hear this thing too. That point in time, this Wilkes character gets back in his van, makes a U turn and, and drives off. All right. Now the defense is trying to, um, imply that, well, maybe, Maybe he was the reason he shot her at point blank range is that he might have been afraid that perhaps she had a gun in her purse. Well, she didn't have a gun. She didn't pull a gun. She was yelling at the guy because he ran through a red light and sideswiped their car. And that cost her her life. So I guess the object lesson here, it's two. Number one, life is cheap on the mean streets in Milwaukee. And number two, just don't get out of your car. That, that's, I guess, the lesson. Just don't flat get out of your car because there's psycho killers that are driving around who have the impulse control of a fruit fly and will kill you at a moment's notice without any thought. Welcome to Milwaukee, Democratic National Convention delegates. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Brewers baseball starts in less than an hour. Let me be clear about this. That big, ugly, orange asterisk at the end of Wisconsin Avenue, uh, hate is a strong word. But it's been there for four, almost 40 years. Isn't it time for it to move on? Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, well, I, I've got, if you, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I've got a link to the history of, they call, it is the statue is called The Calling, but it's a big, ugly orange asterisk. What got me started about this is JSN Line, line has a, a feature on Northwestern Mutual, and they've got pictures of the, the new spectacular building that Northwestern Mutual has built in downtown Milwaukee. The first one, though, is a view of the building from the lake. And you don't really see the building. What you see is the big, ugly orange thing that is blocking the view of the building. It's called, technically it's called the calling. It's 40 feet high. It weighs 17 tons. It has been at the end of Wisconsin Avenue for approximately 40 years. It was initially commissioned by um, 
by um, it was by the Bradley family. You know, Mrs. Bradley in particular, you know, wanted to put that down there. So that's where it was commissioned. It sits at the end of Wisconsin Avenue. If you want to stand in Wisconsin Avenue and you want to look at the Calatrava, it blocks the view of the art museum. I mean, all you see is this big orange monstrosity. If you want to stand and look west, well, it sort of blocks the view of the Northwestern Mutual Building and some of those other new buildings that are are down there. It's been there for 40 years. And it's one of these things which, if you think there's no such thing as sacred cows, I I think this is one where, and again, I, I understand that art you know, people can argue about the merits of art, et cetera, et cetera. But this is one of these things. It's been there for 40 years. And I guess I keep wondering, does that mean just because it's been there for 40 years that it has to be there for another 40 years? And it's a number of steel beams, if you know what I'm talking about. But it, it's huge. And it blocks the view of other sort of things. Isn't it time to say, all right, maybe in advance of everybody coming to Wisconsin and coming to Milwaukee for the Democratic National Convention, isn't it perhaps time to, I don't know, share the wealth and take the big, ugly, orange asterisk and, I don't know, move it somewhere where other people can enjoy it, like, I don't know, Burner Botanical or Brown Deer Park or Lincoln Park or, or somewhere else. You know, it's been there for 40 years. Is it time for it to go? Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't understand how it got put there in the first place. I mean, I understand how it got put there. I don't understand why anybody thought it was going to be a good idea. But as that whole area has developed, it just, to me, stands out like a sore thumb. And why do we want sore thumbs? Okay, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Like I say, you, you can't. It is spoiling the view of the art museum. It's spoiling the view down Wisconsin Avenue. It's a big, giant, orange set of girders. It has to be repainted you know, like every five or six or, or seven years. It's, I understand, it's it's art. I get it. I'm not saying you destroy it, but isn't it time to maybe share that artwork with other people in the county? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Bring in the cranes. Haul the thing out. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Jim in Hales Corners. Jim, you're on WTMJ. You get to play Art Critic. Yeah, hi, Jeff. Hi. Well, uh, I absolutely think that things should go. Its time is up. Uh, my wife works at the Northwestern Mutual Building, right? And it's uh, it's an ugly thing in front of that great looking uh, structure. And my question is, what constituency are we satisfying by leaving it up there? Um, and I do have the perfect place for it. Yeah, where where it's, you want to put it? It's perfect. It's the Bradley Sculpture Garden in River Hills. Well, you know, again, because this was commissioned by um, by you know Jane Bradley Pettit, and that th- this was this was her baby, and it was a wonderful gift. Somebody asked me how much it cost. I, I don't know because she donated it. But yeah, I mean, there's uh, right exactly. We the people of it, for people who love it, Jim. People have enjoyed it at that location for forty years. Isn't it time to share the wealth now and move it somewhere else? 
Well, Jeff, I worked at Allen Bradley for 15 years, and I knew Jane Bradley Pettit, and she was a very reasonable, wonderful person. Right. And I think she would uh, she would say it's time to move it. Yeah, exactly. Now, I mean, thanks for calling. Now, keep in mind, when when that statue was first put there in the early 1980s, you didn't you didn't have the art museum, you didn't have that that new Northwestern Mutual building, you didn't have. All the, the other new building and construction that was there it was kind of off by itself. Now, I've never liked it, okay? I've never liked it. But but if you want to make an argument that, okay, this, this had a place in the early 1980s, all right, I, I appreciate that. that. That's all well and good. But to the extent it had a purpose in 1982 or 1983 now that you have all the new construction and now that you have the art museum which all it does is block the view of it um i i just think it's more than time to go jeff i like it um if you want to move it move it to your studios at capitol drive well Okay, um, that way we get to use and look at it every day. Yeah, I think I like the uh, I like some of the other spaces. Jeff, move it to the lakefront park space. Times change; it doesn't fit in that spot anymore. No one says you need to throw it away. Just love it on a spot uh, in Veterans Park or somewhere near there, where it's not blocking the view of some of the spectacular stuff. Jeff, I've always had the perfect location for the calling sculpture. I think it's three miles east of its current location. That would be Lake Michigan. Yeah, a lot of people are saying that. Um, you know, it's uh, let's see, Jeff. I love it. I know people hate it, but it at least inspires them to feel something. Huh. Jeff, since it's orange and in the shape of an asterisk, we could donate it to the Houston Astros. Well, there's a point there. Jeff, I say get rid of the ugly thing. The Kalatrava is beautiful, and you're right. If you're trying to see it, you have to try to look through that orange monstrosity. I guess I'm biased. Um, my company, my husband's company did some work on the Kalatrava. Well, I think that's that's true. Okay, so what about the bronze Fawn statue? Is that getting old? Okay, so um, I, in my opinion, they both are, and I think something new would look nice for Milwaukee. Well, okay, the, the thing with the Fonzie statue is that that's in a diff- completely and totally different location. That is not prominently displayed at the end of Wisconsin Avenue. That's what, on the on the river. So that's kind of a destination sort of thing. The Fonzie statue isn't interfering with the view of some of the other great architecture we have here. And the Fonzie statue, at least it kind of makes sense because you can say, okay, Milwaukee, happy days, etc. It's a tourist attraction. The calling, at least in my opinion, is just a big orange monstrosity whose time has come and has gone. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right. We've been largely politics-free today. We're going to change all that tomorrow. But tonight, of course, is the debate in South Carolina. The interesting thing, there's going to be seven people on the stage. Billionaire Tom Steyer is going to be there. And I think 
for the first time, maybe people are going to start going after Bernie Sanders. Bernie has largely gotten a pass. Nobody asking him about like like some of the absolutely, in my opinion, crazy things that he is saying. For example, I mean, yesterday he, he put out this this statement because people are saying, "All right, you, you, you want all this free stuff? We we want free college tuition, and we want to eliminate health care. We want." nationalized health care and we want free college tuition and we want to do away with uh, student loan debt and we want to nationalize the insurance industry and we want to what was the one yesterday oh yeah we want cradle to grave daycare so you know from the moment your child is born we will give you quote unquote free child care up to 10 hours a day interestingly which again makes you think about khrushchev who, you know, back in Soviet Russia always used to say, give me kids when they're two, and, you know, I'll, by five, I will, I will have them. I will have indoctrinated them. But that's what Bernie Sanders is talking about. But the, the, one of the questions, and nobody's been pushing him on this, is where are you going to get the money to pay for this? Because, I don't know, $1.5 trillion here, $2.5 trillion here, $10 trillion here. You know, pretty soon you're talking about big money. So what he did is he came out, and essentially it's this major wealth redistribution idea. He said, okay, well, first we're going to raise $2.4 trillion um, with a quote-unquote modest tax on Wall Street speculation. And that's how we're going to make all public colleges, universities, and trade schools tuition-free and cancel all student debt over the next decade. One swoop, make all – we're going to – a modest tax on Wall Street speculation. I don't know what that means. And for those of you who have money invested in 401K accounts or things like that, or IRAs if you're retired, you, you need to be very, very afraid. Okay, then he says, okay, housing for everybody, that's $2.5 trillion, and that's going to be paid on a, by a wealth tax on the top one-tenth of 1%. Presumably the same people that you're going after with this other tax. Then he says universal child care and preschool, every family in America, that's $4 trillion. That's going to be a wealth tax on the top uh, 0.1%. Sanders plan, the story I'm looking at, did not discuss stock market ramifications of a major seizure of some of this wealth, much of which is held in markets and other investments. Yeah, of course it, it didn't because he doesn't want to think about that in this country. As a general rule, let's put aside estate taxes and things like that, you pay tax on income, right? You, you, you work at your job. Your employer you know, pays you for your services. At the end of the year, you match up how much income you've had. You pay taxes on that income. If you, let's say you have an, an IRA or a 401K and you've saved tax-free, well, once you start withdrawing, all right, that's income. You pay tax on that. But we don't go and we don't say, all right, we're going to tax you on the value of your IRA. Let's say you, you've saved all your life and you have, I don't know, $500,000 sitting in an IRA. You, you've saved and maxed out and all those type of things. We tax you when you take money out of the IRA, right? You take $50,000 out, you pay tax on that $50,000. That's not what Bernie Sanders wants to do. Bernie wants to tax you on the value of your IRA or your 401k or your real estate holdings. Um, If you are a farmer, and you own land. Let's say you've had land. Let's say you're a, you've it's been in the family for generations, 
And, you know, it has maybe an assessed value of, I don't know, $3 million, let's say, for the sake of argument. But that's not your money. You only get that money if you sell it. And you have no intention of selling it. Well, Bernie's idea of a wealth tax would be, hey, you've got $3 million in land. I'm going to go out and I'm going to expect you to come up with whatever the number is. Pay me $50,000 as a wealth tax every year. Now, it's it's not fair. It's not practical. And it's an absolute and total mess. And it's not going to raise the money that you want to raise because whenever they have tried wealth taxes before – What's happened is it's never raised as much money as they thought, and in most cases, it raises a lot less because the people that are wealthy, what they do is they move the money around. They figure out, okay, well, all right, we're we're not going to pay taxes this way, so we'll, we'll put this in in trusts, or you know, we'll we'll relocate to Ireland or or whatever. But this idea that you can get all this free stuff simply by going after some of the quote-unquote evil rich. And again, the interesting thing is when you listen to Bernie Sanders talk, he, he doesn't want to you know, make a big point of it, but he acknowledges that pretty much everybody, if you make more than $30,000 a year, your taxes are going to go up. Now, he claims that once we do this universal Medicare thing, what's going to happen is Medicare for all and socialized, nationalized health care, it's going to actually result in you know cheaper costs. Well, okay, have you ever known the government to undertake some sort of program and the costs for something go down? But I bring this up because nobody on the debate stage has ever looked at Bernie Sanders and said, are you nuts? I mean, seriously, are you nuts? All these different things, and I guess, I look, I understand how it has this appeal. If you're a 25-year-old kid that's just gotten out of college and has $35,000 in student loan debt, I understand how it would be appealing to say, hey, I tell you what, you know, I'm going to wave a magic wand and your student loan debt is going to disappear. Now, for the people who put themselves through school and did it without debt, or maybe you did it for your kid, you sacrificed, you know, you paid for your child's education, and the guy you work with, he spent money on cars and fancy vacations and took out student loans. Well, you know, Bernie Sanders considers you to be the sucker. I mean, you're you're the chump because, yeah, you you did the right thing. You paid for all this stuff, and and he's going to get it for free. I guess my, my point is these are just some of the things that are, frankly, kooky about the proposals that are coming from the far left of the Democrat Party. And right now, Bernie Sanders, I mean, he's getting a plurality. I mean, there's seven people running. He's getting 30% all the time. And as long as you do that, that, that's going to get you the nomination. Now, a lot of people are just scared witless about this because they figure if Bernie Sanders gets the nomination, it's going to be an electoral debacle, not just for Sanders, but also for all the Democrats who are running down ballot because – I don't know. People are going to say, well, I'm I'm not going to come out. This is a kooky sort of idea. But at least so far, Bernie has been the fair haired child and nobody's gone after him. I think it's going to be fascinating tonight to see what happens. And this is going to be a debate that I'm going to be watching. I also want to see if Mike Bloomberg is able to show a pulse, come back from where he was before. All right. When we come back, we're going to have a little bit of fun on a Tuesday afternoon before the Brewers game. Um, tomorrow is Lent. That means one thing. I'll explain. Well, it actually means multiple things, but I'll explain what I'm talking about. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
I have a handful of emails from people saying, Jeff, if Bernie Sanders gets elected, you're right. These are kooky policies, but Congress and Senate won't pass any of this. Oh, really? All right. Uh, look, if, if you haven't learned anything, just look what's happened over the last 12 years with President Obama and President Trump and the use of executive orders to bypass Congress. If you don't think that Bernie Sanders as president can substantially remake American society in his socialist view, you are incredibly, incredibly naive. All right, let's uh, let's let's switch gears. I was actually going to save this for tomorrow. I'm, I'm off Thursday and Friday, but if you can't tell, I, I have this virus, and I'm not sure I'm going to be here tomorrow either. We're kind of like, so we'll see how it goes. But I, I did, if this is the last day of the week, I did want to talk to you about this because Lent starts tomorrow. And the, the tradition of, of Lent, regardless of whether, you know, you're, you're Catholic or not, people give stuff up for Lent. I stopped doing that a while ago. I, I with, with the diet my wife has me on, I've given up more stuff. You know, there's, there's nothing left to give up. But um, one of the things that is very, very big during Lent is, of course, fish fries on Wednesdays and prote- particularly Friday. And this is the time when, I mean, fish fries are big in Wisconsin anyway. So let's face it, it is a... I think a uniquely Wisconsin tradition. If you travel around, we were in Florida a couple of weeks ago, and it's Friday night, and you know you, you want to talk about fish fry, and they look at you. What do you mean fish fry? You know, we yeah, we have some fried fish, but they don't have the, the fish fries. Well, Wisconsin, whether it's restaurants, whether it's churches, whether it's VFW halls, whether it's taverns, we are big on fish fries. And I thought, in the time remaining to us before we turn it over to the brewers, we have a little bit of fun. All right. Lent starts tomorrow. That is the fish fry season. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If I want an absolutely outstanding fish fry, where do you suggest that I go? And what is it about the place that makes it worth going out of our way to go there when you know that lots of places have lots of different choices. So this is your chance, your favorite place for a fish fry during Lent or during the rest of the year as well. Where should people go? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Gru is lining up the calls. We'll be back to discuss this in just a moment. And again, I'm curious as to what it is about the fish fry, because you can get all sorts of Different kinds of fish. Some fish fries are fancy. Some are, you know, you get the tartar sauce in little paper cups. What is it about the place that you like that you think everybody else would like? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Where do you go for a great fish fry? Gru is lighting up the calls. We're back to discuss in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Journal Sentinel and their their food critic has a piece recommending nine different fish fries in Milwaukee. And honestly, I've been to a couple of them, and a couple that made their list are, frankly, significantly underwhelming. So I thought we'd give you a chance to have your own list. Best place for a Lent fish fry, 855-616-1620. Let's start with Denise in Milwaukee. Hi, Denise. Hi, Jeff. Uh, St. John the Evangelist in Greenfield. Uh, We have the best Catholic fish fry in Greenfield. It's $11, all-you-can-eat, baked or fried cod, uh, uh, french fries or parsley potatoes, applesauce, coleslaw, bread, dessert, coffee, milk, all for $11. And it's served family style, Uh, I assume? Yeah. 
No, actually, you 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 do it in a line, but oh. you can come back and get food. Oh. And uh, we have it on February 28th, March 20th, and April 10th. Mention you heard me on the radio, and we'll give you a dollar off, so well, that's $10. Okay, well, there you go, Denise. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Okay, and you're, you're a great marketer there. Great marketer. Thanks for the call. See, the, actually, that's one of the cool things that's out there. And I, I mean, I love fish fries on Friday and going to restaurants and all, but especially this time of year, you find a lot of places that don't necessarily have fish fries the rest of the year, whether it's the Catholic churches or whether it's, I mean, the VFW posts or whatever that, you know, open their doors and do the fish fries. And I'll tell you, I think there's really a lot of hidden treasures that are out there. Let's talk to Tom in Heartland. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Tom. Okay, let's try Renee in New Berlin. Renee, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hello, Jeff. Hi, Renee. Um, The absolute best world fish fry is at a place called the Blue Heron out in, um, it's just out of Waukesha. Oh, my God, you have never tasted such good fish fry. And you get chicken, too. Really? Okay, well, there you go. Oh, it's it's amazing. So you have your choices. Thanks for calling, Renee. Um, You you have your choices of places that you can go. And and that, see, that's one of the things that I love as well. Now, when I go out for a fish fry, I mean, I'm, I'm getting the fish. That, that that's the way I'm going. But, you know, for people who might like, like like the fish, the alternatives of shrimp or the alternatives of chicken or things like that, that's just, that is a great option as well. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Lent starts tomorrow. That means even more so than usual. It is the fish fry season around here. All right, where's the place that people should go for the best fish fry in Wisconsin, Ron in Sheboygan. Ron, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks for having me on. Hi, Ron. If anybody heads up to Sheboygan, if you head up to Sheboygan, there's three nice places. Uh, briefly, the first one is Gussie's, G-O-S-S-E-S, on Union Avenue. Great fish lunch with roasted potato or fries. Nice atmosphere. The second one is Tommy's Bar, and there you get a great variety. Bluegill, northern, walleye, paddock, perch, and there you get your choice of German potato salad or potato wedges. And the other one that's really great is Alan Al's Bar and Grill. And there you actually get salad bar with it. I, You know, I love bar and grill. I, I love the taverns. See, that's what I kind of grew up on, going to the taverns that, that open up and they have the fish fries on Fridays. I just absolutely i have always loved that. I've been a sucker for that type of stuff. And that's, I think, where you find some of the very, very best fish fries that are around as well. Right. Well, you know, when I was a kid back in the 50s, my mom would send us, my brother and I, to the local bar, and we'd come back for 75 cents. We'd have a paper plate covered up, and in there was the fish that they probably caught out of Lake Michigan that morning. Right. French fries, coleslaw, and rye bread. Doesn't get much better than that. No, thanks for call. We were talking, um, I'm a perch guy, and we were talking last week. There is a huge shortage of perch because... What's happened is most of the perch that we get here comes from from Canada, and what's happened is Canada um, is trying to go after and encourage sport fishing, and so what they've been doing is they've been uh, planting lots of fish in the waters that end up eating the perch. First they eat the smelt, then they eat the perch, so there's been a major shortage of perch, 
and so you have a lot of the restaurants around here where you can't even you can't even get it. We were at a place the other night where I mean it, it's not even perch that's on the menu. You can get cod, you can get haddock, you can get that. But if you're a perch guy like I am, um, not going to happen. Um, or if you're getting the perch, you got to be really careful because. There's I forget what they call it. There's there's the the yellow perch, which is the kind of stuff that we're used to, and then there's the other form of perch, which is stuff that they fly in from Europe, um, which isn't that good. Um, let's see. I second the blue heron out on 164 in Big Bend. Jeff, um, two of the best places: Aliotos in Wauwatosa and the Bell Tavern in Beaver Dam. Both have great cod, white, flaky, and fresh. I'm getting hungry. Also, both have the best fries and excellent tartar sauce. See, that that's the key to me because to me, again, fish is in some respects a, an excuse to ish uh, to eat um, tartar sauce. Jeff, best fish fry is the Braising Pan in West Bend. Love the variety of options. We have um, been there. Interestingly, a number of people are saying that they love the fish fry at Culver's. And would I put it up with the would I put it up with like some of the great fish fries that you could get at some of the area restaurants? No, but I will say this: I think Culver's does a great job for something that's on the menu, you know, every day. I think Culver's does a great job with their fish. Jeff, there is no perch in Sheboygan. Yeah, I think that's probably the case. Um, what you're finding is that's a lot of case. Jeff, I love the Lions Club in Horicon, Wisconsin. It's an inexpensive. Awesome fish fry, good sense of community, and cheap beer. Yeah, you, you can't go wrong with uh, cheap beer. Jeff, I love the Dover Inn in Dover, Wisconsin. It includes a trip to the salad bar, which includes awesome smoked salmon. The fish fry is the very best around. Absolutely. Jeff, best fish fry and very tasty fish, Serb Hall on Oklahoma, South 51st Street. Yeah, I mean, uh, Serb Hall, of course, is the, that that's the, that's the traditional place, you know, and, and people, people go there. That's been the place that people have been going for ever and ever. And it, obviously with Lent, you're going to see like all sorts of people pulling up to the carryout windows and things like that. Jeff, best fish fry, the Blue Ribbon Pub on Blue Mound in Wauwatosa. Fabulous fish fry. That's from Roberta's. Yeah, that's Roberta. I think, you know, there's an element of that as well. Tom in West Bend says uh, the Sandpiper um, in Campbellsport. Okay, well, see, I think it's um, I think it's fine. Jeff, Jug's Hitching Post in Colesville. They have excellent perch and tartar sauce. I have been, I have been to Jug's Hitching Post in Colesville. I always remember that because the people that took us there said, we're going to Jug's. And I said, huh, we're going to Jug's. It sounded like something other than a restaurant for fish, but it was a great restaurant. Um, Jeff, um, if you have a good fish ride, you don't need tartar sauce at all. Well, you might not need tartar sauce, but that doesn't mean you don't want it. All right. That was fun. Wherever you choose to go for your fish fry, I hope you enjoy it. I am out of time. Hope to be back tomorrow at 12 noon when we do this all again. Your first weekday Brewers baseball game coming up in just a couple minutes. Stick around. Have a great Tuesday. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.